there's some school shirts. Shoot. Kindergarten age and younger. We're continuing our study in Ephesians, and we've come through the corner and gone to chapter 4 into chapter 5, looking at community life of the church. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about what God has done through Jesus Christ to bring us one and make us one people together. So consequently, in chapter 4, you've got this therefore, and the very first therefore is the understanding unity that comes from God's working. And then... What does that mean for us and how to work together? Chapter 17, uh, through uh, chapter 4, verse 17 through 32, it talks about the exchange life of the behavior now uh, because of Christ's work in us, how to treat one another uh, with the Spirit of God working in us. And so in chapter 5, uh, we looked into what does that mean for how we live our life and using the word walking, how we walk. Uh, we see that uh, we are to walk in love. So a little bit of a review uh, as we think about last Sunday, that we are to walk in love as part of God's moving in us and what does that look like for us. Uh, then we uh, look at walking in the way of light. Walking in the way of light. And so much of chapter 5, the first part, was talking about what does that mean to walk in the light of the gospel and to have our lives open up and not to have secrets and secret sins that are, are constantly uh, dominating our life. And, and the fact of the matter is that secret, willful sins can dominate you. In fact, Psalm 19, David prayed, let them not have dominion over me. That's why the secret sins can be so destructive is that it kind of creates this uh, hypocrisy and we no longer see ourselves as a whole but we're compartmentalizing ourselves that we are a certain one way when we're by ourselves no one sees and then we're another way when another group of people is around us and we never really know who we are and that we're to walk in the light of the gospel how God sees us and let that have impact on in our life. We spent uh, a good bit of time talking about what that means and and let me just say this, that when you're living in fantasy, when you're living in fantasy, the thing about fantasy life is that you're always in control of that fantasy. It is a world in which you are king, and every human individual in your fantasy comes and exists in your fantasy to serve your beck and call. Have you ever thought about that? So consequently, when you exit out of fantasy and get into the real world, there is a measure of irritability that comes in your heart and life. Why is that? Because no one is living in your fantasy world. Just think about it. Right? Walking in the light of the gospel. Walking in the way of love. And then we stop short because time ran out, as sometimes happens, uh, and looking at, uh, probably has to do with the fact that I never start my timer, uh, uh, but then walking in the way of wisdom. Walking in the way of wisdom. When we looked at this as we get to verse 15, and this is where we're going to pick up here. Walking in the way of wisdom, and what does that look like? So it's kind of the third point of our last, uh, last sermon, 
uh, and then we're going to continue on with characteristics of what that looks like uh, in, in just a little bit. So I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together, honor this being God's word, um, and I'm just going to start with verse 1, we're going to focus primarily on verses 15 through 21 uh, this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the of Christ, and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light, and the Lord walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For shameful even to speak the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Wake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is the luxury, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. You may be seated. Every once in a while, my family will pick on me because they know when I've been talking to someone that isn't from around here, uh, specifically from another country. Uh, and so it doesn't really matter if, if they're from another country, what their language is. I speak to them in my same language. Uh, but when I'm speaking to someone that's international, uh, my English becomes broken. I don't know why. I just feel like they can understand that better, you know? Even though they may know English. Uh, but I end up talking like they do. And so it's usually kind of loud and, and a little bit somewhat Indian in how I talk. It doesn't matter if I'm talking to someone that's from Mexico or from Korea or from Russia or from India. It all sounds kind of slightly, slightly Indian, uh, slightly English. Who I talk to impacts how I talk. And I want you to understand that when we have a living relationship with the Holy Spirit, He will influence us and how we interact, how we talk, how we think, and what we look for in our life. And so whoever is talking to us the most influences us the most. Have you understood that? Whoever you talk with and listen to the most influences us the most. And that's why, well, the best one that influences us is ourselves, because we talk to ourselves all the time. 
but we may tell ourselves lies. And so what's important for us to listen to the Holy Spirit and learn to talk to Him, interacting with Him, and watch how He influences us. And so when we talk about walking in the way of wisdom, it's going to inevitably take us to the Holy Spirit. Alright, so let's just kind of track scripture here and see how that works. And so we're going to look at verse uh, 15 again. This is the third how you walk in the chapter. Walk wise, look carefully in how you walk, understanding that there's a light and there's a darkness, that there is uh, a way that we can walk in secret sin that is destructive. And so therefore we've got to be wise, carefully, how we walk, uh, make the best use of the time. Alright, now... Uh, the uh, translation might say redeeming the time. In other words, if a day goes by and you're not intentionally with it, it is forever lost. You cannot go back to 2005. You cannot go back to 1995. These days are lost and you cannot go back to yesterday. It is time that that is fleeting and goes by and the older you are, you realize how precious each day is. The, one of the one of the things that seems unfair sometimes is that when you're young, you just don't understand the preciousness of a day. But as you get older, those days, uh, you see less of in front of you than you do behind, and they become valuable. Is that right, Jason? Jason just turned 40 not too long ago. Alright, so there's these, these, these things where we see that. So he said, redeem the time, look carefully, night walk, and otherwise, make it the best use of the time, because the days are evil, they are fleeting, and they can't be destructive unless intentionally sought out for God's opportunity. And you have to be intentional for that, right? Uh, so we're going to look for God's opportunities in our days. And in fact, the matter is that when you look back in your life, it is the God's opportunities that will measure the most. And, and listen, you never really can plan God's opportunities. In your day timer, in your agenda, in your phone, in your calendar, you can't necessarily put in, I want to see God's opportunities here, here, and here. Then go to bed. Usually, God doesn't reveal His calendar to you until the time it happens. And so just understand that most of the time, these are going to be interruptions to your plan. You've got to be good with that. Understanding that it's in the interruptions that often, you'll look back on and see that's where God intervened in your life. And the unplanned, but look carefully for these, may be wise and make the most of those times because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Alright, now let me just talk about what is wisdom first. When we talk about the will of the Lord, what, what is wisdom? Alright, so here's just a definition that I just want to bring to you uh, for you to think through. What is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. Wisdom is seeing the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. What, where does that come from? Well, you know, uh, there's some interesting passages, like Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to see the, the, authority, the authority of God, to have a right fear, a reverence, and fear, flat out fear of God's authority, but also a reverence and a desire for His authority. So Proverbs chapter 9 says that the fear of the Lord, recognizing His authority, is the beginning of wisdom. And so 
when we talk about every circumstance that you go through, and you say, God, what is wisdom? Help me to be wise in this. And that is to see the beauty, not just God's authority, but the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance in your life. To see that God is doing something in the details of our day and walking with that. So, consequently, understand what the will of the Lord is. And so if we're going to walk through circumstances in life and we want to make sure that we don't waste these times, then we must see God's authority in the days of our lives. Alright? See God's authority in the days of our life, in the circumstances, and even if it's a bad day. Alright? Especially when you see the bad days to understand God is doing something. And I don't yet understand it, but I love God, and He's a powerful God, and He's at work, and so I'm going to appreciate that God is in charge of this. Now, just understand, if you want to know God's will, there must be an intimate exposure to God's Word in your life. It is foolish to think that we could discern God's will if we don't read and consider God's word in any matter. Now, what you'll find is that sometimes in God's word, there is black and white. Uh, you, some of what we just read uh, tells us some black and white decisions. Uh, should I go to the, the, the men's strip club? <laughs> no. Why? Well, I just read here that we are to let that be named among us, all right? And so that, that tells us very clearly right here. Uh, so there's some black and white stuff here, but then there's some areas where it's not always evident, and your heart and emotions get mixed. But in that time, still, the Word of God informs us. Let me ask you this. Do you ever go through a circumstance that reminds you of something you read in Scripture? That happens when you've got your mind filled with Scripture. I, I, I was just reading through how Jesus dealt with the temptations of the wilderness. Uh, when, and the Bible says that he was there 40 days, and just the temptations come, but he was hungry, he was fasting, and the thought occurred to him by saying that, you know, maybe I could just turn this stone into bread and eat of it, and so get rid of this hunger. And so this was Satan speaking to him. But it, it's interesting how Jesus responds with Scripture. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his father. I was reading in Deuteronomy where Jesus got that, and it was done, that, that encounter in Deuteronomy was done when the Israelites were in wilderness, and they were hungering for food, and this word came to them. And I thought, you know, maybe Jesus, as he was hungry, and thinking about how to make food, now I wonder if he was thinking of Scripture, that this reminded him of something, the story of Scripture. So when Satan came, he went back to that Word of God that came and gave him direction and instruction by the Spirit of God to resist temptation. So let me ask you, does circumstances ever remind you of things in Scripture? It's going to happen if you have your mind filled with Scripture. And share with you some of what, how that happened with me just this, this past days. Uh, I've been trying to visit with members of the church and uh, hear from them and some of the challenges that's going on in our church and uh, dismissed staff members and just hearing from them 
you know, where are you at? What's going on? The questions and answering. And I'm starting to see a theme in some level of desire for repentance. A desire for repentance and a desire for reconciliation. What will that look like? From Scripture, we know that forgiveness is wholly dependent on God's grace working in our hearts. It has nothing to do with anyone's behavior. From Scripture, we know that reconciliation is dependent on repentance. I thought, well, if this is a desire, we see that God's working hard, then we better be praying for repentance. So I thought of first, your Scripture has something to say about it. And so I went to 2 Timothy chapter 2, just in this conversation, just to just, you know what, let's read this. Because this reminds me of something I read in Scripture. So 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, the verse that I had memorized, let me come together, verse 25. But when I read it, I turned to it and I said, let me read this. But what caught my eye was verse 24. I'd already studied through previous verses. It says, the Lord's servant must not be forced, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant the repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that may come to senses and escape from snare the devil after being captured by his will. Kind of track with me a little bit. The thought was we need we want reconciliation, desire reconciliation, that means we need repentance. Is there some scripture that speaks to me about how repentance can happen? My mind went to verse 25 that repentance can come by God granting it. And therefore we pray for this. But more importantly, as, and not just more important, but in addition to that, it was instructions to me. This is what I am to do. To be kind, able to be patient. In enduring evil, and this done to people who were creating divisions in 2 Timothy chapter 2, who was a pastor in Ephesus at the time. Correcting opponents for sickness. But trusting, not in my manners, trusting not in what I do, but trusting in God who can grant repentance, but can work through obedience of his servants. Verse 26, the consequence therein, and God can grant repentance. So here's how that factored in. As I read this, I was identifying what the circumstances reminded me of the scripture, and then reading the scripture. Here I sense the Spirit of God illuminating my heart, my mind, my will, my actions, saying, This is the way to go. This is obedience. So now it's a matter of, I know this in the scripture, now the spirit of God is making this word of God alive to me to say, here is the, the governing actions for my behavior and what we're to do together to say, if God's going to have a work in this, then it's going to come through the Lord's servant, not being quarrelsome, but being kind to all, able to 
he's patiently enduring even when wrong, and God may grant repentance. Pray for that. Here's the effect of it in my heart. I left that meeting greatly encouraged. Circumstances had changed. Still just as difficult. You know what's changed? The sense of the God knowing and speaking to my heart is and all I really need to know, all we really need to know, is what is the will of God? One of the things that, from Nancy Gerald and her funeral, and, and reading that, uh, she marked in the flyleaf of the Bible twice. When you know, when you understand the will of God, there is no need of trying to understand and so there's this clarity of purpose that comes. And so this is just an example to say, when your mind is filled with Scripture and you go through circumstances, do the circumstances ever remind you of things you've read? I think that's how Jesus was operating with the Spirit of God. And I think that's how we're to operate to say, we're to uh, understand the will of God. Therefore, days can be evil, they will be evil, they can be wasted, and they can ruin our soul unless we know God's will. Walk in wisdom, which means that we see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance, that though the circumstances are not the ones of our making, the ones of our liking, but they are there, and God is over that, and He wants to work in it, and He's going to do something beautiful in that. They take that by faith. But how do we do that? Because I can say that, but it's immensely harder to do it. How do we do that? Well, verse 18 comes to mind here. If we want to be wise, if we want to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance, the, the wonderful thing is that God's authority is now in us by His Holy Spirit. So, verse 18, he has this interesting uh, parallel here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Alright, so uh, let me just speak a little bit. Why is he being uh, parallel with being uh, drunk with wine. Uh, and so he's uh, implying that when you're drunk with wine, it makes a difference in your life. It has some directives. It, uh, it is a depressant. Uh, it basically is uh, depressing certain mental faculties, uh, which would usually cause uh, inhibiting forces in your life. And so it, it makes it so you don't see certain aspects of your life. You don't see the things that you once were afraid of. You don't uh, feel the things that socially might uh, impact you and uh, keep you from uh, expressing certain words. It's interesting. Uh, you know, when someone says, well, you know, you got excuse in there drunk, they said all this stuff. You need to know all the stuff that was said when the person was drunk was in their mind before they were drunk. Okay? All the stuff that flows out of the heart when someone's drunk is in their heart before they're drunk. The only difference is that the forces that says, that's not a good idea to say stuff like that, has been removed. And when they're no longer drunk, you don't remember those things they said, but you can mark sure, yes, that is a part of the effort. Alright? Um, so, when you don't sin, you don't 
uh, you have the, that restraining, and you can't see some of the things that might really restrict you. How does that change the paper? It's interesting that a study was done uh, of uh, someone uh, that drank one glass of wine, or two glasses, three glasses, four glasses, a picture was done after every time. This is a picture of. Uh, <laughs> Alright, yeah, so you top, top left is the first shot. And uh, so, yeah, by the last, uh, bottom right, this is after four drinks. Guy's uh, not feeling stuff. He's not uh, having those forces that normally control uh, some of the restraining effects. And now you've got, uh, well, that's what you look like after four drinks. One, all right. Um, so, if you've ever been around a restaurant and you know the volume goes up, yeah, the volume goes up. So, what is the effect of the Holy Spirit? God is, is, is using the word to say there's some parallels here. The effect of the Holy Spirit. So, so drinking, if it inhibits and you can't see things and, and, and makes you so you're more active and outgoing or courageous. Because you don't see things. Well, the Holy Spirit does the exact opposite. It is through seeing reality. Through eternal reality. The Holy Spirit opens up your eyes to see your shame being undone. But also seeing around you the reality of what God is doing that frees you up into courageous living. Where you might say things you might not normally say. Not because you're dumb to things, but now the Spirit of God is making you alive to certain realities. So, what are some of these things? It says, be filled with the Spirit. Understand, first of all, that is a commandment. That, that God is saying, it's not a good idea. It's not just a suggestion. It's not that this will make your life better. Uh, this is not a life enhancement. Okay? So many times we think about being filled with the Spirit. Of, this is life enhancement. Uh, no, this is a command of the Lord. So when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, what we're really saying is that we're joyfully submitting to God's authority in your life. So being filled uh, is the same as yielding. Alright? Being filled is the same as yielding. Is to joyfully submit to God's authority in your life. And I say joyfully in that you don't want anything else. That it's the idea of being filled uh, that you don't want other desserts. Alright? You understand that? Um, we had a, a reception that we went to yesterday. as actually a, a funeral and uh, it was delightful, great catering food. And uh, they had these, I call them funeral biscuits, um, mainly because you see them at all the funerals. Uh, but they're, they're rolls with ham and it's uh, Dijon mustard, sometimes cheese, and it's great. Uh, but this one was like handmade biscuits. You know? And they're light, but they were crisp on the edge and on the top. And they're just, just ham and smoked. Uh, and it was just the right combination. And uh, they didn't have any room at the table, so they had a seat in a chair right near the serving table. You know? I ate three of the service. I mean, this was one of like two. I mean, this was so good. And then they had these desserts tiny little cookie, or tiny cookie, little strawberry, short cake torts, and things like that. Uh, I'll have one of those. Well, let me go back to these. This is my, my, my belly filled with this. I, I don't need the chocolate brownies, especially because they have coconut. I don't need the, the strawberry. I'm, I'm satisfied with this. So what we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit is say, God's authority is joyful. 
is satisfied. I don't need, I don't need the titillating uh, ideas of, of some physical picture for me to look like. I don't need the sexual morality. I don't need these things that now I'm satisfied with the Holy Spirit. So can you understand that part of the problem of sexuality and immorality is a choice. You either get the experience of God's presence in your life or you get uh, just fleeting moments of, of physical craving that leaves you wanting more irritable. It's a choice. You don't get to do both. I'm afraid there's many of us that believe a lie that think I can go to church and I can have the appearance of Christian faith and I can love God and have His pleasures when things are going wrong but when things are nice and, and just easy then I can satisfy my physical desires as I see fit. God will not abide in makes it clear what we just read. There is not room for other items. Which is how God sees it, according to what we just read. So there is a satisfaction with the authority of God. To say, I want Him because He is a joyful God. You get that? He's a joyful God that when I submit to Him, that there is joy. Even in difficult hard things, there is joy that is to be found there. So what is the characteristic of being filled uh, with the Spirit? Being joyfully being in God. What happens? Well, you see in the last part of verse 18, 19, 20, you have these, these participle phrases. Right? In other words, ing, okay? These verbs that end with ing, addressing one another, singing, giving thanks, submitting to one another. These are characteristics. These actions take place as and because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. When, what are the marks of someone that is satisfied with God's authority in their life, who's seeking God's authority, joyfully being? How do you know? I used to have a professor come up to me, he's a chaplain, and he would say, are you being filled with the Spirit today? I don't know. I think, I want to be. How do you know? There's always these questions, and it was like, it felt like it was wrong to say yes. Because then I would be walking in water or something. Um, but I read the scripture that says this, these are the characteristics of how you know you're surrendered, yielded, satisfied with the Spirit of God. Well, characteristic number one, there is singing in our hearts to one another. Singing in our hearts to one another. He says, addressing one another in psalms. Right? This is what the Jews would have, have sung and read, what we have in our psalms. And hymns. Alright, so this is what they would have written. First generation believers would have written some of which may very well be included in our Bible, like in Philippians chapter 2 and other, other passages that could have well been hymns that they wrote based on the Word of God. And every generation you see new hymns being put out because God is doing a new work in every generation. And it is saying, I want to rejoice in what I'm experiencing, what I know of God. And so there is an exuberance of joy that comes in with God's Spirit. There will be some times when God will let His presence be known to you that is an emotional experience. It's like, you know, uh, you may have always a relationship with your father or your mother, but there might be some time when the father or mother hugs you and says, I love you as my son, as my daughter. Now, were you a son and daughter before? Yes. Were you a son and daughter afterwards? Yes. But there are some times when the 
father and son, or the father and the mother might let their love be shown and let it be evident. These are the spiritual outworkings that we see where God does that among the people and they're wonderful things to have and great gifts from God. But they're not what we always live for. We live for God. God gives the experiences as he sees fit. And we have had wonderful times in American society, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and other times where God has mostly revealed his authority and his presence. And you often look, if you see in the hymn books, you'll see that many of the hymns that were written were written in and soon after these powerful movements of God's spirit in our nation and other places. Songs flow when the spirit of God works. And then spiritual songs. These are choruses that incite, are incited by the Holy Spirit of God in the world. But notice that they're addressing one another. We're talking to one another. We're sharing with one another. That God's power and His Spirit happens through corporate worship. Through the time of us singing together. I uh, It's not that we're just... This isn't a movement, alright? I remember... I watched the Vita a number of years ago. Um, I didn't know it was a musical. I put the DVD in, I'm like, all right, this is, I've heard about this Vita. And I started getting a clue when it first opens up and the guy starts singing. I just walking down the street. That's an unusual opening. You know? <laughs> it's like he just kept singing. Oh my God, I'm watching the musical. You know? And so there's this, this it's not to say that we're just singing to one another and all this stuff, but it is a melody that's in our heart. That it is a, uh, an inward dialogue that's happening of us giving praise to God. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, essentially, you'll see this in, in the gratitude as well as submissive to one another, that there is a one another effect, but it's inspired by our worship. Okay? There's a one another that we're singing songs to one another, but notice in, in verse 19, that is done because we're making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so our worship to the Lord, our personal worship to the Lord uh, with our heart has an outward effect with one another. And so the problem is that sometimes we come to church and we think, okay, we're supposed to sing now because, well, it's 1030 and this is what we do. And at 11 o'clock, we stop singing and we just kind of go through the motions and we lose what scripture is saying that we don't sing to one another but it, and then hope it works out but then if we bring our worship with us we bring our melody in our hearts to the Lord and then out of that flows the singing to one another and listen if there is very little personal worship of your own then you can't expect much out of corporate worship just they flow together personal worship together stimulates and motivates the corporate worship and addressing one another. I, uh, it's so powerful to have the words of truth directing you. And sometimes for many of us it happens through song. I mean, you might remember a line or two maybe from what I say today, but if I ask you quickly on Wednesday, there's one thing you remember. It'll take you a good two minutes for you to even recall anything. Maybe. But if we have it in song, it's amazing how it can direct us. The last few weeks, I've been you know, listening to worship and, and, and making personal worship part of, of my just daily life. 
And there's a song, it's a new song, came out maybe a year ago. He will hold me fast. Written maybe just two, two years ago, maybe. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Though he said, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in this holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will let, not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by, by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last, he will hold me fast. What I'm listening to is a group of about a few thousand men singing the song. As they're addressing the song to one another and joining in with virtually. And worshiping God and letting the truths of God's word just direct my thoughts. And we need that from one another. You get that? The songs we just sung. One person singing it out of their heart and worshiping can impact everyone here. One person. Worshiping God out of their heart can impact a whole body of people. <sighs> Singing and making melody in order to call. Are you intentionally getting the words of truth in your heart? Listen, if you do not intentionally, the days are evil. Redeem the time. What does that mean? If you don't make a soundtrack for your mind, the world will oblige you. <coughs> Easy. You can sing songs by Drake. Um, whatever. What was it? Some of them may argue. Some of them What's wrong with some of them? They're not the words of life. The Spirit of God will work the words of God. What is the soundtrack of your heart? Things go south. When things become great, what do you tend to see? Where does your mind go? Redeem the time because the days are evil. We keep on reading. Making melody to the Lord with your hearts. And we go to verse 20. What else? What does it look like when we're filled with the Spirit? Well, we're giving thanks. Always. For everything. To God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Characteristic of, of spirit-filled life is extreme gratitude. Extreme. Why do I say the word extreme? Gratitude. Well, do you get what you say? Give thanks always. First of all, that makes it extreme right there. Always giving thanks. And for everything... God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how I said there's an outward and there's an upward, okay? The upward is that we're doing this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To God, giving thanks to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus Christ. The, name, the word name refers to the character and the authority of God, in this case, Jesus Christ. So I'm giving thanks that God's authority has not lost it. 
He is still sitting on the throne. That though the circumstances are dire, I don't like him. It's not of my making. But he is still on the throne. And I want to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. Which means I must acknowledge he's still in control. And he's working. In everything. Extreme. Right? In fact, Romans chapter 1. Verse 21. Have a little insight here. What God has to say through Paul to Rome. He gets to the heart of things. Of rebellion against God. That's across civilization. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. I give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark. Interesting. Paul is saying in Romans 1.21 that one of the beginning of a heart turned against God was a lack of gratitude by giving thanks to God. To understand that I owe everything to God. And to acknowledge the right place in our life. I have a dear friend of mine, uh, Neil Davis, some of you know Neil Money. Uh, back in March, April, uh, their son, who lives in Colorado, uh, he's a student, was a flight student over there, wanting to be a pilot, was involved in a motorcycle accident in the Florida Mountain Roads, um, thrown off his motorcycle, uh, found in the ravine, was unconscious, taken to the hospital, uh, was brain trauma, head trauma, bad, nasty plastic surgery, all that kind of stuff that things like that. Um, Neil and Bonnie, of course, have no idea what the future will hold. Surgeons are being done. He writes this back in May. Today we have mixed emotions. Anna, Taylor, and I head back to Raleigh to attempt getting back to our lives, at least for a while. I don't know about them, but as you can imagine, I'm mixed. In fact, I struggle with the idea. I'll leave the love of my life, his wife, there in Billings, to help our son fight back to where he was. The future seems right. It's going to be a hard struggle. We're grateful that she has the latitude to stay there. We're told rehab may be as little as a week because Philip is so far along. But this past week has been a difficult time. As the week Taylor was born, we discovered a bleeding tumor on his kidney. Another story, another time. We know we're exhausted, but no, probably don't realize how much. The kids and I fly to RDU at midnight to get up to a busy reentry. Bonnie stays in buildings to help Philip with his reentry. We're so grateful beyond description. Yesterday, Philip graduated from college in a condition that is way above what we expected. He was supposed to have still been on the ventilator until Friday. He was supposed to be attached to the tubes and machines. Our expectations were much lower because of the nature of the trauma. But we are not in that position. He is not on the ventilator. He is in unattached to wires and tubes. He graduated from college. Praise the Lord for his grace and mercy. We don't know what the future holds for him, but we continue to pray for a full recovery physically, emotionally, and cognitively. We pray this will be a turning point for Philip. We pray for his return to a cockpit. We pray he will experience the graciousness of God. So it becomes more and more aware of all the people who love him and pray for him. We pray that Taylor and Anna will experience the goodness of God as they witness this event. We pray that this trauma for David's family will draw you too into his welcoming home. One of our former pastors, Buddy Walters, would always encourage us to never confuse the world around us with all his beauties and dangers with God. That's good. Never confuse the world around us with all his beauties and dangers with God. This week can draw us toward God, not away from him. If I understand why this week had to happen, it would cause me to trust in myself 
not on him. We don't think he ordained this, but even if he did, we're okay with that because his character is flawless. He is trustworthy and sees things differently. That's part of what makes him God. But his flawless reputation, eternal goodness is what draws us to him, not his giving us everything we want or think we need. That doesn't change the fact that in this tragedy, but it does change our perspective on those very same facts. Solomon told his son in the book of Proverbs, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him and how you live, and he will direct your paths. So we continue this journey. We must do this. Our own understanding is flawed. His is not. What I want to direct your mind to is that Neil had learned to worship God in every circumstance. To be filled with the Spirit, to be submitted joyfully obedient to God's will, is to say, God, if this is the lot that you've given to me, if this is where I am, if this is of, of your control, God, I will worship you in this, believing that I will see the goodness of you in the land of the living. In the midst of all this, we join the authors of Psalms and many others who say, I will worship God in this moment. And I will give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. What else characterizes the person who is yielded to the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit? Verse 21, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. To not have a defiant spirit, but a submissive spirit to say, I want to see God speaking. And I believe that God can speak through others. I believe that God can speak through others. And I'm willing to listen because I want to hear God speak. He goes on. This really introduces the rest of the chapter and even into chapter 6 when he starts talking about the roles of various people, marriage, family, church, employees. But it's all governed by this idea that someone that is yielded to the Spirit of God, joyfully obedient to Him, is going to have a submissive spirit to one another. But he'd say to you, say to me, what, Jared, you know how hard that is? I mean, this person, I can't respect anything about them. You know how hard it is. This word says that, keep reading. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ. What directs us? What motivates us? I have to hold God. And I love him. He is enough for me to obey. This person maybe not, but if God has asked me to show obedience and to submit the spirit to this person, then I will do it. Do you know that your work life and how you treat your boss has much to do with your worship or lack thereof of God? It is directly connected to our God. How you treat your spouse, how you treat parents, reveals what you believe about God. You're connected. Whatever authorities that God places in your life. In America, it's kind of cool to uh, 
we divide. I mean, isn't that how our country was birthed? A large portion of it? So part of American divide is to say, Do what I want to win. We have a hard time relating to our thoughts. But we're acted and asked to follow God. And let our reverence for God direct the authority. Does that mean you always agree with the authority? No. Does that mean you have to always but it does say it does mean that when there is disagreement there is a God honoring way to do so where God is revered and revered in our hearts as well as whatever authorities that God has placed because we've learned that obedience to a joyful God Obedience to a joyful God brings joy. Consequently, disobedience to a joyful God will produce misery. The choice is ours.